Out of Bounds, episode 61. Dylan here, JT here as well. And we will be having Chris Nosick later in the show. Talk a little bit about his Patriots winning against the Vikings. No big deal. Holding him to 10 points. That's a huge win for the Patriots. But, you know, hey, guess who else won this weekend? The Titans. That's right, Dylan. Impressive fashion as well. Led the team to a game-winning drive. Marcus Mariota did. And uh, he has the most game-winning drives in the past two seasons in the NFL. That's an interesting stat right there. So, congratulations to them. We'll talk more about that in our NFL segment. But first, JT, how's your week been going, sir? It's been good, Dylan. I know we've been off the air the last couple weeks with Thanksgiving and, of course, busy week with work last week. So it's good to be back. Just busy getting ready with work and getting paperwork stuff ready for school at Full Sail. So very excited about that. But besides that, a lot of sports stuff catching up on with football, college football. I watched college football games this weekend. Watched that crazy UCF game. We got to talk about that. But uh, it was a great week. Dylan, how was your uh, couple weeks been? How you been doing, man? I know you've been busy. Been good. Just been still full of turkey. Oh yes, I'm still <laughs> full. Uh, we've been just shopping. Shopping's been taking up a lot of time for me because it's the holiday season and it's Christmas just around the corner. Less than three weeks away from Christmas, it's insane. It feels like I just woke up yesterday and it was New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. So it's um, it's really weird to think that we're at the end of the year. And we're almost there to 2019, which will be a fantastic year for the show. But we'll talk more about that in the f- next few weeks. But yeah, it's um, beginning to, to look a lot like Christmas and feel a lot like Christmas here in Florida. It was warm the past few days, but we did hit a cold spell last week. And we're, we're going to get one again tonight. We're getting one again and tonight. tomorrow. Yeah. Thursday. It's going to be the 40s. So, woo, time to bundle up here in, in central Florida. But it could be worse. Where Chris is at right now, it's like 30 degrees. Yeah, that's terrible. And I'm sure he's got snow and all that to deal with. I wouldn't mind snow. That's the thing. I wouldn't mind snow down here. But still, this cold weather, it's, uh, yeah, I'm I'm okay with just 40s. That's fine with me. Anyway, let's get into it. Let's talk about some college football, especially the college football playoff. We had some championship games this weekend and some big ones at that. And the biggest one of the weekend was Alabama versus Georgia. Georgia came into the game. They were playing very, very well. At the end of the first half, however, they had a two-minute drive where they did nothing with the football. Nothing. I went on Twitter and ranted about this because, look, Georgia, you were handed this opportunity. You're up by seven points against Alabama, about to go into halftime. You're about to kick the ball off back to them to have the chance for them to score more points. At that point, What difference does it make how you play in this game? You need to try to win this game because if you do, then guess what? You're still going to be in the college football playoff. If you don't win this game, there is a very, very high likelihood, like there was when we found out from the college football committee uh, about the rankings for the top four, that you're not going to make the college football playoff without winning this game. Well, Dylan, remember, there was even a possibility on Sunday after all the games were played that since everyone was saying the college football committee has to pick the four best teams. Georgia still, even with a loss, had a slim chance that they could still slip in. The thing I didn't understand was, when I, because I didn't watch the game, I was at work, but I, I listened to it on the radio on the way home. Georgia had a chance still in, and when the game was tied, they decided to go, or they were down late, 
they decided to go forward on fourth and 11. I didn't understand that. I'm like, why are you going forward for 11? And Kirby Smart was saying after the game, look, man, I know I'm going to get criticized, but I'm playing, trying to win the game. This is Alabama. Well, okay, we no, score. no, 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 we're going to stop you there. You weren't playing to, trying to play to win the game because, again, in the second quarter of this game, you had two minutes with the ball. He had at least two timeouts to go as well, but you squandered that time to where you could have extended your, your lead to at least 10 points. But guess what? You went into the half with a seven-point lead. There was even that first drive, when they first started driving the ball, they went to fourth down. Guess what? There was a penalty on Alabama, gave them another first down, gave them, at, at, I think, uh, 15 extra yards because it was a roughing, the, roughing the punter. So you had an opportunity to drive the ball down the field and at least get a field goal. But guess what you did? You didn't do that. You squandered it. You squandered the opportunity. You squandered your chance at the college football playoff. If you had done that, if you had driven down the field and at least gotten a touchdown, guess what? That game would have been tied. It would not have ended in the fourth quarter. They would have been going into overtime. So you had an opportunity right there in your grasp, and you let it slip away. Not only that, Dylan, uh, Georgia, even when Tua went out with that ankle injury, and they brought Jalen Hurts in, who hadn't played a lot this year, Georgia's defense still couldn't stop Alabama. No. It just kept clicking. And Georgia, it was a real, like you said, a blown opportunity because now you've lost to Alabama twice in the same year because they lost in the championship game last season. So Georgia, as you said, ends up missing out on the playoff, and they will go to the Sugar Bowl. Well, they play my boys, the Texas Longhorns. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the other championship games, Clemson, Crush Pit, no surprise there. And then you had, in the Big 12, my Longhorns had kept Oklahoma offense for as long as they could, but we knew Kyler Murray was going to get clicking and end up blowing the doors off in the Texas defense late in the third and fourth quarter. We just couldn't stop them. And Oklahoma wins the Big 12, so they eventually only lost this season. And then, of course, Notre Dame, they were, didn't play. And then you have Ohio State beat Northwestern, but didn't do enough to get in the playoffs. And then our boys, UCF, who was down twice. They were down 17 points twice against Memphis. Their running back, Henderson, was running all over them in the first half. Dylan, they were down like 28-7 at like the end of the first quarter. Yeah. It looked really bad. Yeah, it was 24-7, to and then they were going into halftime. Uh, Memphis was up 38-21 to by 17 points going into the half. I believe their running back had over 200 yards rushing in the first half. Absolutely insane. They shut it down completely, though, in the second half. They yeah, came he only back, had uh, 68 yards in the second half. They came back to win that game by 15 points, by two touchdowns and a two-point conversion, essentially. And UCS quarterback, uh, Mac Jr., he had six. He Even though the first quarter, he had fallen the ball three times. He redeemed himself and got six touchdowns. Yeah, and three, he ran him by himself. Yep. And it's the first time, I, be- I think it was the first time in a long time that a, a a quarterback accounted for at least uh, three passing touchdowns and three rushing touchdowns in a game or something. There was a stat about that. But um, incredible performance by UCF. Even though, yes, the defense did not look good in the first half, they made their adjustments at halftime. They came back on the field with a vengeance, and they won this game. I I think that it was a statement game for UCF. Hopefully, it can translate into the chan- the next game they play, which is up against LSU, a really, really tough SEC foe. I think that if they win against LSU, that will be a huge statement game. 
But again, next year we get into the same thing that the College Football Committee has been talking about where they have a very, very weak schedule. And it's just where the cards have fallen, essentially. It's how the hand was dealt for UCF. Um, And there was also talk that UF, the AD of UF, was on the committee for the college football playoff committee. Yeah, he is. And he might have been one of the reasons why they decided not to play UF in a bowl game this year, in the Peach Bowl. Well, the athletic director of the University of Florida did deny all these allegations and said, none of this is true. We respect UCF, but I recused myself from the voting process, and they chose Michigan, which I don't understand. This is like, what, the third time in the, in the four years yeah. they played Michigan now? Yeah. Like, aren't you tired to play? Don't you want to play somebody else? I mean, you could have easily sent Michigan to the Fiesta Bowl and have them play LSU, and then you have UCF, like this year, go up to Atlanta again, and you play Florida. And this would have been like a Sun Belt rivalry, or Sun Belt, Sunshine State rivalry, Florida and, and UCF, two contrasting styles. But UCF's going to have to prove it with a backup quarterback against uh, a retro freshman, by the way, against a really stellar LSU defense. But I think, Dylan, UCF will definitely be able to score points against LSU. Remember the last game we saw LSU? They got over 70 points against Texas A&M. Now, I know it's Texas A&M that's different from UCF, but UCF, their coach, Josh Heupel, has basically three weeks now to prepare for LSU. And I think, Dylan, they got a shot. And if they win, that's 26 in a row, Dylan. Playoff committee, how long are you going to keep UCF out? How long? Well, the thing is, I mean, you look at the body of work UCF put in this game, essentially. Um, they only won against Memphis by one point early in the early season. season. yeah. But then they came back and won again, but by 15 points this time. And that was without Mackenzie Milton, who, of course, had a le- that leg injury against USF the previous week. Yeah, so I, I, I don't understand why the College Football Committee didn't even consider UCF to be in the top four. I think they had a really good record uh, of course they've won 25 games in a row at this point I, I think that UCF should have moved up higher than they did they stayed at number eight this week uh, Michigan stayed at number seven Ohio State was at number six that's a joke how can you keep Michigan a team with two losses had their worst loss in their lives against Ohio State getting blown out and you keep them on above a undefeated UCF team that's a joke. They've been undefeated for the past two seasons. And I, I wouldn't even mind if it was Michigan over an undefeated team for just this season. But UCF has won 25. Let me say it again. 25 games in a row. 25. They beat Auburn last year. The only team to beat Alabama and Georgia last year was Auburn. And guess what? They went in and killed them and last forget, year in their bowl guys, game. Auburn had like, what, 25 NFL players on that team? UCF had what? One Shaquem Griffin. That was it. That was all we had. And, and he almost didn't get drafted in the first place. So, you know, UCF is a very, very good football team. I don't think we have to worry about this game in the, in the, in the, um, in the bowl game. But I think so that this is going to be a very, very good game. Very competitive game. Um, analysts are already saying that UCF is going to get the doors blown off. I said that last I, year. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I really think it's going to be a, t- a close game. And they're going to give LSU a run for their money. All right, Dylan. Well, it's bowl season, so we got a lot of bowl games. But besides the playoff games, of course, what's a bowl game that maybe is drawing your interest from the matchup from the past couple days? I think looking at all of the bowl games that we're going to have in the next few weeks, I think that one that really sticks out to me, one that's close to home for us, would be the Camping World Bowl. I think that West Virginia versus Syracuse is going to be an offensive battle. It's going to be a gunslinging fight, and I think that 
Will Greer is has been doing very well in the in the college ball rankings this year. He was a Heisman candidate for a while. Um, I think he kind of dropped out of those because now we have the three, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But Will Greer versus Eric Dungy from Syracuse. I think that this game is going to be a very high-scoring affair. I think that it's going to be a very, very interesting and very, very fun to watch affair on TV. So that's one game that I'll be keeping my eye on. Um, I think that's probably one of the best games outside of the New Year's Six. So, JT, what is your bowl game you're keeping your eye on? The bowl game, Dylan, that I'm keeping my eye on is going to be the AutoZone Liberty Bowl, which will be on Monday, December 31st, between the Missouri Tigers and the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Missouri had a really impressive season this season, Dylan. No one expected them to get this good and get into a bowl game, but they've done very well. Their quarterback, Drew Locke, he's like one in the top 20 of passing rating for the NCAA. So that's great. In Oklahoma State, I know they've kind of finished on the tail end on the losing streak against tough loss against Oklahoma and West Virginia. But Oklahoma State, we know they can score a lot of points. So I'm expecting an offensive shootout. It could be arena football out there. They're going to be throwing the ball, throwing the ball, and it should be a, a fun game to watch. Now, Dylan, let's talk about the Heisman Trophy race because that was announced today. We got Tua, your boy from Alabama. We got Haskins, the quarterback from Ohio State. And you got Kyler Murray, the Oklahoma quarterback. So, Dylan, there's going to be a decision on Saturday, but who are you leaning towards who think is going to win on Heisman on Saturday? We probably have the same candidate in mind. I think that Kyler Murray is running away with this, with this award. I think he is the Heisman Trophy winner. I don't even think we have to watch the, the whole presentation unfold because we know who the winner is going to be. It's going to be Kyler Murray. I think he's done a great job with Oklahoma, and uh, he's done the right things to get into the college football playoff. I think that it's time for them to... Uh, put up or shut up, and I think that in the college football playoff, they'll give Alabama a run for their money. Um, that offense is a juggernaut. I, th- I think that Kyler Murray is the catalyst for that team, and I think that team will play very, very well in the college football playoff. So I think uh, Kyler Murray is the runaway winner for this. I agree, Dylan. Tua, even though he's had a stellar season, over 30-plus touchdowns, he's had, like, I think, three or four interceptions. Tua hasn't been healthy all season. He, he's been playing with a banged-up knee. Of course, he got injured in the championship game against Georgia with an ankle injury, but we all expect he's going to play in the college football playoff. Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback for Ohio State, stellar season. Despite all the drama with Urban Meyer, who we'll talk about in a minute, he's been able to keep his team in it. Even though that bad loss against Purdue, he has a top rating in the NCAA. Great season for him. But Kyler Murray has took it to another level, and he's gotten better with each game. Even against that loss against Texas, he is physically, back in October, he has had to keep that team in it each week, even though the defense, for what, four or five games was giving up like 40 points? So because of him, he's had to carry a team. And we all know, Dylan, you took Kyler Murray off the Oklahoma Sooners roster, Oklahoma will be nowhere close to playoff. No, completely so different. Clear, Kyler Murray is going to win it. Yeah, I think that's definitely... Um, an easy choice for us when it comes to the Heisman Trophy. Now let's talk about the coaching carousel. Uh, One of the biggest moves that happened this week, actually happened today, Urban Meyer has decided to retire after his bowl game, and it comes as no surprise to us. We kind of knew this was going to happen. Yeah, Dylan, your boy, boy, uh, John, he called it early, right? We had him back in the show in August, and he was saying the Gators were going to go undefeated. That didn't happen, but hey, at least they made the bowl game. But he called it early and said back in August, no, he's not going to finish the season. Now, he did, but he's not going to carry on the next season. And I think, Dylan, 
He's saying the same excuse like he did when he was in Florida. He's saying it's for health reasons. Now, okay, that's kind of legit this time because he said earlier in the season that he had a cyst growing. He has to take care of that. And also, we hope her Meyer takes care of health and makes a speed recovery with that situation. But at the same time, I think the situation happened with his assistant coach, Jack Smith, and that whole situation, I think that affected him as well. And he got suspended for three games, and he was fighting that suspension like tooth and nail. And Ohio State, you can tell as the season went by, he just got exhausted, and he just didn't have the energy. He just looked worn out. And, you know, this happened same at Florida, but Florida, remember, he was getting in trouble because all those players were getting arrested at, <laughs> at Florida. So even though he won two national championships in Florida, and he won one in Ohio State, and I didn't watch his press conference, but I was following him on Twitter to see what's going on. And he clearly stated, Dylan, I believe I'm done coaching. Now, you're asking me, do I think he's going to be done coaching? Coaching? No. I still believe, Dylan, that it's more like he's been coaching the NFL than in maybe college. I still think a college program, like what's going on at USC, if Clay Hilton can't make it through another season and they want to try to bring Urban Meyer, hey, he's a quick Builder gives your program at respectability, like what John Harbaugh or Jim Harbaugh, excuse me, did at Michigan. But it's going to come at a cost. So I think NFL is more likely only because, look, Cleveland's, I mean, we'll see who's going to be their coach. Who knows about that? And Cincinnati, Dylan, the Bengals have been a train wreck. They need a change and a real hairy. And they keep going south, and the new owner or whoever's going to take that team is going to make changes. I expect Urban Meyer to get a couple phone calls, especially Dylan, because you've seen the NFL now. They're looking at some college coaches to make innovative, creative ideas for offenses. And that's why Lincoln Riley is getting looked at by a lot of teams right now. And I expect that to continue. I know it didn't work with Chip Kelly. I know it didn't work with some other coaches. But they're going to keep hitting the uh, college bandwagon because there's coaches there that can easily transition to the NFL. Yeah, and also there was a poll I put on the Out of Bounds podcast Twitter. It's OOB podcast the poll was with the retirement of Urban Meyer. Do you believe he's done with football altogether or is he making a move to the NFL? Um, now it's 50-50. People are saying that, you know, some people are saying, yeah, he's going to retire for good. Some people are saying he's going to make the jump to the NFL. So we'll see if that changes in the next 12 hours or so. Um, it's, it's halfway there. But there are teams, like you said, that are needing coaches in the NFL, like the Cincinnati Bengals, um, the Green Bay Packers, which we'll talk about Mike McCarthy and his firing um, in just a little bit. But there are some definite opportunities in the NFL for Urban Meyer to make that leap to the NFL if he wants to, but it just all depends on his health at this point. And you have to wonder, I'm sure Florida Gator fans are screaming out there saying, don't believe him. Don't believe him because he did this once before. And he went to Ohio state because he wanted to get out of the sec because it was uh, a very high pressure situation. You have to win every single week in the sec or you lose your job. And he didn't like the pressure. So that's why he went to Ohio state. So um, going to the NFL, I think that's a bit more high pressure than Ohio State, but we'll have to see what he does um, leading into next year. Or he, maybe he might take a year off. Who knows? Yeah, Dylan, let's just do a quick other coaching recap update. The Louisville Cardinals have hired Scott Satterfield, the former Appalachian State coach. He was an up-and-coming coach. They really were Appalachian State. And Louisville tried to get Jeff Brown from Purdue, but he's he's a Louisville native he went to that school, but he decided to turn down and said, hey, I'm not finished at Purdue yet. I'm happy here. I got to get this program up and running. And he's done well at Purdue. And another coaching situation, Georgia Tech, Paul Johnson, he retired this past week after 10 years at Georgia Tech. So we'll see where they go. Atlanta's a huge recruiting ground, so I expect the big coach is going to try to take that job, see if they can throw the Yellow Jackets to compete with the Georgia Bulldogs. 
North Carolina, the Tar Heels, I'm sure Ryan Campbell is very happy about this move. They let Larry Fedora go, and they brought back Mac Brown, former Texas Longhorn coach. He's been out for five years. Huge news. But uh, this is big, Dylan, because he was very successful at North Carolina when he was there before he went to Texas. Now he's trying to bring some wins, some credibility to that school. And it's tough because, you know, North Carolina, they're a basketball school. Football, they just haven't been good in a long time. So I wish Mac Brown to get the best and hope he can do it real good for the North Carolina Tar Heels. Texas Tech, they announced that Cliff Kingsbury is going to leave. So they're going to look at a different direction. Hasn't worked out. They had Tommy Tuberville before Cliff Kingsbury got there, and that didn't work out either. That was a disaster. And they, of course, had Mike Leach for all those years before he left. So we'll see what Texas Tech is going to do. But Cliff Kingsbury, he's going to go to USC and be the offensive coordinator, which is huge for them because USC, that offense has been awful. They need help. And they need help real fast. Yeah, they but do. Clay Hilton, he's definitely on the hot seat now because if he doesn't get it done, Cliff Kingsbury is going to have a chance to prove himself, it looks like. And then Maryland, they just announced today – that they are going to hire the Alabama offensive coordinator, Mike Loxley, to be their head coach. Wow. And also, with the Kansas Jayhawks, we got Les Miles going over there as the head coach. So that's a huge win for Kansas. Les Miles has been out of the game for two seasons now, something like that. Yeah. So it would be great to see him back in college football ranks and see him eat some more grass going into the uh, season <laughs> did, next year. He did that at the one of the Kansas basketball games. Oh, did he? Yeah, they had the mascot there, and he had grass, and he was there in the center court just eating it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, well, I can't good. wait to see how he does in the Big 12. It'll be fun. I hope that his team doesn't beat my Longhorns, though. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it would be good to see Kansas get back into relevancy because they, they haven't been relevant for quite some time. And if you saw some of their stadium shots during the season this year, in the middle of the game, it, it was half full. It, it's not even completely full. So I think with less miles there, they might sell a few more tickets. Oh, definitely, definitely. So now we're going to head on into NFL news. And JT, we have a special guest on the phone. That's right, Dylan. And joining us from the city of champions, also known as Boston, Massachusetts, where it's currently 30 degrees right now, is Chris Nosek. Chris, how are you doing tonight, man, up in Boston? Nice and cold. Well, that's good. Don't worry, man. It's going to be nice and cold down here in Florida tonight. It's going to be 40 degrees. We're getting some of your weather tonight. It's fun. Nice. Enjoy it because yes. it won't last long. You guys will be wearing <laughs> shorts again tomorrow. That's very true. It's very you know, true. I feel like the last time we had a show here, we talked about how cold it was, and we talked about parkas and everything. And then two days later, it was back to eighties. Uh, it's it happens every week, but that's what December is here in or- Orlando, Florida. So uh, we just got to get used to it, I guess. But let's talk about some NFL news. Let's talk about the NFL Week Thirteen. Recap some of the scores that happened there. Um, some big games happened. First of all, the Thursday night game versus the Cowboys and the Saints. Huge matchup. Uh, division implications. And the Saints just couldn't do it. They lost 13-10 to against the blazing hot Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, Dylan was really surprised with that game that the Saints just couldn't get the offense clicking. And the Cowboys, the defense frustrated Drew Brees. Every time they kept throwing the ball, it was deflected. They couldn't get the running game going. And the Cowboys, with that win, they snapped. The Saints had won, what, nine, ten straight games? So the Cowboys came to play. And we know, Dylan, the Cowboys, it's always during this time of the year for some reason. November, December, they tend to get hot. And now after what's going up in Washington with their quarterback situation, the Cowboys now sense, Dylan, they got a chance to not only win the division, but they can make the playoffs. So, yeah, Dylan, everyone was saying earlier, oh, the Saints are going to crush the Cowboys. But the Cowboys, 
had other ideas. The Cowboys are streaking. They're, they're doing really well right now. Thank you, Elliot. Fire! On fire. The defense is playing well, too. The defense put, held the Saints to 10 points in this game. That's absolutely incredible, um, knowing that the Saints have been an offensive juggernaut the entire season. Chris, what were your thoughts on that game? I mean, I'm not panicking if I'm new, if I'm rooting for New Orleans. I, yes, it's a great win for the Cowboys, you know, to beat a what's feasibly a juggernaut in the in the Western Conference right now with with the Saints. But I mean, how often do you see Drew Brees go for 18 for 28 for under 150 yards and throw as many picks as he does touchdowns? It just doesn't happen. It was an off day for the Saints offense and good for the Cowboys. They capitalized. And hopefully for them, they can capitalize on exactly what JT was saying, Washington and their injuries, which we'll get to later. But I wouldn't be too focused too much on one game. I mean, being a Patriots fan, we've seen these types of games and then our team go on to win the Super Bowl. So watch out for New Orleans still. But good for the Cowboys. They they took advantage of a of an off day. Yeah, they really did. And the Saints, they're still number one in the division. Um, they The second place in the division is the Carolina Panthers. They're at 6-6. Six and six. So if New, the only thing that could happen is if New Orleans laid an egg the last four games of the season and the Carolina Panthers went streaking, which I don't really think that's going to happen. I think the Saints are going to do very well to end the season. But again, it's an off night. And even if, let's say the Saints played the Cowboys in New Orleans, in the Superdome, I think they they probably would have played a lot differently than they did um, in Dallas. I, I think it's it's strange though because usually with Dallas, it, it's hit or miss when it comes to these these bright light games. I think it's it's really interesting to see the Cowboys play um, on Monday night and Thursday night football because they they sometimes show up, sometimes they don't, and most of the time it's usually they don't show up, and so it's just interesting to me. It, it was a Thursday night football game. We all know fluky things happen on Thursday. There's a reason why some people want it out of the NFL because this type of thing happens. If they had played, what, three days later on Sunday or four days later on Monday, how different would that result have been? Probably pretty different. I mean, all these fluke games happen for these really good teams, and it always seems to happen on a Thursday. Yep, and so now the Dallas Cowboys are leading the NFC East trailing by the Philadelphia Eagles, the Washington Redskins, and the New York Giants. Now, let's move into some other big games that happened this weekend. Uh, JT, what's a big game that stuck out in your mind uh, this weekend? Well, the big game that happened, obviously, was the Sunday night game, the Steelers and the Chargers. Now, to be honest, I didn't really pay much attention to the game. I know I have Smith-Schuster on my fantasy team, so he wasn't doing so great. But the Steelers were up big in that game, and the Chargers come back. The game is tied. Then the Pittsburgh Steelers give the Chargers the greatest Christmas gift I've ever seen. Three straight onside, offside penalties to get them in the field goal range, and they end up winning the game. And the Chargers, like we said, Dylan, no one's been going in the games, but they've been the hottest team in the AFC West. They've been, besides the Rams, well, the Rams are in the other division, the NFC West, but that's been the craziest thing. And the Steelers, Dylan, they've had some close games where they should have lost the Jaguars a few weeks ago, and they ended up pulling that one. And then they had another game last week. It's the Steelers, Dylan, I just, as the season keeps going by, it looks like, Dylan, whoever the Steelers end up playing in the playoffs, they can get knocked down in the first round. They're just not looking so hot right now. And they really, like you said last in the last episode a couple weeks ago, 
They're going to miss Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. They're going to miss him. Well, they're going to miss James Conner, too. James Conner's injured right now. We don't mm-hmm. know what his status is for this coming up weekend. But, I mean, that would be a huge blow to the offense of Pittsburgh. I think that Ben Roethlisberger is showing his age this season. I think that this is the one year that, you know, that he was talking about retirement last year and all that kind of stuff. I think that he probably should have considered that a lot more than he did. I I really do. I think having um, another quarterback in there, a younger quarterback in there to play in this system. I mean, Josh Dobbs is the backup there. I think Josh Dobbs is doing a great job just staying on the sideline, kind of watching, taking it all in. And if he gets called upon, he can play pretty well. He actually had one pass a few weeks ago that went for 25 yards. It was the only pass in the in the game um, because Ben Big Big Ben had to go out for one play or something. Um, but yeah, it, it's a huge game for Chargers too. Chargers did not have Mel, Melvin Gordon that game, which he'll be out um, probably another week or so. I think they said it's not as serious as they thought as they thought it was, but still he's out uh, with injury. So we'll see if the Chargers can keep running away. Um, with their division at 9-3 and three right now. Big game that stuck out to me was the Jaguars and Colts game. Why? It wasn't because it, was an offensive be- it wasn't an offensive battle at all. It was in Jacksonville. It was a knockdown, drag-out slugfest when it came to the defense, actually. It was 6-0 in favor of the Jaguars. Um, they had a game like this earlier in the season that did not go their way. It was against the Tennessee Titans, and they lost in that game. But in this game, it was an ugly game. It was the fewest... Points scored in a game since 2007. Um, awful game by both teams. But the Jaguars came in and won the game and beat the streaking Indianapolis Colts. Now, Indianapolis and the Tennessee Titans are tied for second place in the AFC South with the Colts having the... Um, the What's the word I'm looking for? Um, tiebreaker. The tiebreaker. Tiebreaker. There you go. Win percentage. Yes, like the tiebreaker yes. because they did win against the Tennessee Titans um, two 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 weeks ago, something like that. So no, don't remind me. Yeah. Um, so, but the Tennessee Titans are right there in the thick of things once again for the wild card, and it looks like the Houston Texans aren't going to be doing slowing down anytime soon because they're streaking as well, winning um, their ninth game straight this weekend. But Chris, what was a game that stuck out in your mind? So for me, uh, the game that I saw the most of was the Washington Redskins against Philadelphia Monday night game. Um, I don't think that score does the game itself justice. Mark Sanchez came in and played way better than I ever would have expected him to. Of course, we always remember him for that butt fumble. Um, but and he did get the just, butt. He got the butt recovery in this game, which was absolutely incredible. Did. It came full circle. He, it, it finally came sort of full circle, what, five, six, seven years later for him. <laughs> it doesn't help, though, that he hasn't been on the field very much. So, you know, that, that doesn't help. And then the despite the 90-yard run for AP, he still couldn't crack 100 yards, which you'd think would be nice and simple. He's Adrian Peterson, 90 yards on one run. He'll get over that problem, no problem, and he still couldn't do it. Absolutely incredible. And they had, like, just over 100 yards combined the whole team did in Washington and 90 of that was that one run from Adrian Adrian Peterson which is absolutely phenomenal um but yeah that was a great run by him and 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 to think he's 33 years old he's a 33 year old running back and he didn't get signed by a team until middle of the season which is absurd to me after seeing a run like that but uh, Philadelphia did look like they were the most dominant team in that in that game uh, winning twenty-eight to thirteen, that they're starting to click again. Do you think they have the juice to get to the end and possibly make a playoff run at the very end of the season? 
I certainly... me or JT? Either one, either one. Go ahead, Chris. It will certainly be tough for them. I mean, they're right in the thick of things, obviously, as we're talking about the Cowboys. <laughs> they're hitting their streak right now as well. They're 7-5 and five versus Philadelphia at 6-6. Six and six. I'm not 100% sure where people fall into place on the wild card. Um, I don't think they will quite get there if they are reliant on the wild card. I think you just have too many other contenders. Um, if Mark Sanchez or if they can go out and find someone else who's better, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that whole thing uh, shortly. Um, but if Mark Sanchez can replay remotely the way he did at all in New York before he left there, then they're still a formidable team. It's good run game, good defense. Still playing well. They just got to get used to a new quarterback. Minnesota, you know, I mean, even some of these other teams, you know, Carolina is still involved in there at six and six. Same record there. Seattle at seven and five. So I just think there's too much in the middle. And I don't think it's, I don't, I think it's too late for Philadelphia to be clicking. I think other teams already are and will surpass them. All right, uh, let's move to our next game that we were going to talk about, the Titan, uh, the Patriots and the Chiefs. No, I'm sorry, Patriots and the uh, Vikings. Uh, Vikings. There you go. Oh, uh, Dylan, I just want to just mention one thing real quick, I'll just to add on what Chris was talking about. Yeah, Dylan, I think the, the, the Cowboys are more likely to make it just because if you look at their remaining schedule, the Cowboys play the Eagles this week on Sunday, big game. But they get through that, then they play the Colts, they got the Buccaneers, and then they finish their last game of the season against the Giants. Where you look at the... Eagles, yes, they play the Cowboys this week, but then they got to play the L.A. Rams the week after. Then they got to play the Houston Texans, and then they got to play the Redskins at the end of the season. I think the Eagles are done. They just—that's three tough teams, Dylan. That they got to beat. And like Chris said about the wild card race, it's uh, going to be crazy. Will John Jump Auto seems to make it? So, but uh, it's going to be tough for the Eagles. I'm not saying it's going to be a cakewalk, but I mean, I think that if the Philadelphia if the Philadelphia Eagles come to any form close to what they were playing in last year, I think they do have somewhat of a shot, at least a wild card. Um, I don't think they can catch up with the Dallas Cowboys if the Dallas Cowboys keep streaking the way they are. Uh, we'll see if they can contain and they continue this on the road too, because then that'll be interesting to see. But I think Philadelphia does have at least somewhat of a shot at the wild card. I won't count them out yet because mathematically they're not there yet. There have been crazier things that have happened in the league the past few seasons to where, you know, if they do come back and they get in the playoffs, I'm not going to be surprised by it. So uh, let's go back to the next game, like I was talking about before, the Patriots versus the Vikings, your homeboys in New England. Chris, what do you think about this game? Um, I thought it was a great game to watch. You know, it, it's definitely one of the tougher opponents that New England has faced this season. Um, you know, the quote-unquote measuring stick, you know, it was great to, to see them come out on top. Um, I didn't get to watch a lot of it, unfortunately, um, just cause I had so much stuff going on this weekend. Um, but seeing, seeing some of what was going on and it, and it was definitely a, a solid win. And, you know, I, I definitely don't think we're, we're going to see the end of a good run from Minnesota. I think, you know, it's definitely a game they'll take and, and learn from, but it was great to see. defense back making stuff up on the fly as it seems and I think they went with like two down linemen at one point and that's just what we're used to seeing from Bill yeah I think that the Patriots did a great job on the defensive side of the ball holding the Vikings to 10 points it's kind of like 
what happened with the Saints on Monday night on Thursday night football. Um, same thing. I mean, they got held to ten points in the game, and they're an offensive team that has been putting up some points this season. So huge win by the Patriots. I think that this is going to be a good game to get their motivation back, get their mojo back, um, heading into the final stretch of the season. And now let's move on over to some team that we want to talk about. That JT and I want to talk about the Tennessee Titans versus the oh uh, the um, Jets, New York Jets. And that was a great game, too. The Titans came back to win that game once again. And uh, that was the comeback win for Marcus Mariota to win that game 26-22 to in a thriller in Nashville. Yeah, Dylan, the Titans, you know, were off to a struggling start. It wasn't looking good. I was like, really? We're struggling against the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets? But Marcus Mariota, you got to give him credit. The end of the third and towards the fourth quarter, we started to pick it up. He got big plays. Uh, Derrick Henry got a touchdown to get us back in the game. And we managed to pull out a great victory thanks to Corey Davis and Anthony Frischker to uh, get it done. So the Titans, Dylan, we're sitting at 6-6. Six and six, Still with a lifeline. Four games left. Still with a chance in the AFC wildcard race. All right, let's move on to some other news. Mike McCarthy got fired from Green Bay as the head coach right after their loss um, where Mason Crosby could not kick a field goal to tie the game and go into overtime. They lost, um, I believe, 33-30, to 30, right, or something like that? It was by I a feel like goal. I've heard that somewhere before, too. Yeah, uh, I mean, Mike, you know, especially with Mason Crosby, I don't know why he's missing field goals as much as he is because he's a he's a great a kicker. I don't, I don't understand what's happening with his career right now, but – uh, Mike McCarthy's out. We talked about this last time on the show, and I had a very strong opinion about this. And guess what? It came to fruition as, I mean, it, it came to fruition a little bit earlier than I thought it would. But in the middle of the season, I mean, you have four games left in the season. You have to do something to change the momentum of this team. And firing Mike McCarthy was the choice the Green Bay Packers went with. Yeah, Green Bay lost to Arizona 20-17. to There you go. Well, I don't know where I came up with that. But, <laughs> but close. Yeah, 20-17 to was uh, still a really, really close score. And especially at home in Green Bay. They could not put together the win. And it wasn't anything that, it wasn't anything that Aaron Rodgers didn't do. They actually scored a touchdown at the very end of the game. Um, but it just was one of those things that it, they just couldn't put together at the very end. The only thing I will add to that, Dylan, with the situation of Mark McCarthy is Green Bay, I felt, had been stagnant for so long, Dylan. This is nothing new. I talked to my friend Paul, who lives in Wisconsin. He's a diehard Green Bay Packers fan. And he's been saying, we went to a game two years ago in 2016, went to Nashville. The Titans were playing the Green Bay Packers. And Green Bay was up early in that game, but then the Titans, thanks, Marcus Marota, got back and, and they ended up winning that game. And the Titans, I told you, when I was in Nashville that, that year, there was a lot of cheese heads. Those, those fans travel very well. And the Packers have been stagnant for so long. And Aaron Rodgers, they committed all that money, gave him a contract extension, 35-year-old quarterback. And he's got one Super Bowl, even though you felt Aaron Rodgers should have won a lot more Super Bowls. And Mark McCarthy, he's been, like, like I think, 10 years now. He just never changed. The league changed offensively. And defensively and getting all these creative minds, they changed. But I felt Mike McCarthy each year never changed. Kept doing the same thing. And that's why the Packers struggled. And it finally caught this year, and Green Bay had no choice. They had to make a change. I do have a question for you guys, though. And we may get to it later. 
but and I may jump the gun on this if you don't mind. Sure, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, man. And and JT, I want you to ask your friend up in Wisconsin this question: If you're the Packers, do you want to go after Josh McDaniels as your next head coach? It just depends on what happened with New England. It depends on what what compensation plan they gave Josh McDaniels to stay this season. I think that there is something to do with either a head coaching position or a front office position or something with the New England Patriots, and that's the reason why Josh McDaniel stayed in the first place. They know the writing's on the wall for Bill Belichick. They know that he's going to be out in the next few years, um, either by retirement or whatever, or move to another team, um, something along those lines. At the very end of his contract, it's going to be very hard for Bill Belichick to stay. So I think they promised him the world, actually. I think they promised Josh McDaniels, hey, look, if you stay with us long enough, we're going to hand the reins over to you. So if that's the case, I don't know if Josh McDaniels wants to leave New England. However, you do look over at Green Bay, and Aaron Rodgers is going to be playing for quite some time. He's just in his mid-30s now. I think he has at least five more years under his belt. So, you know, I think that if Josh McDaniels were smart, I think he should go with the Green Bay Packers if he... Um, wants to go somewhere else with a proven quarterback because he can put together the pieces and put together the game plan that that would make Aaron Rodgers thrive in the Green Bay Packers system. But again, it just depends on what New England promised to Josh McDaniels for him to stay this season. Uh, JT, what do you think about that? Dylan, I think whoever takes the Green Bay Packers job has to come up with a way to keep Aaron Rodgers afloat. Like you mentioned, he's getting old. He ain't getting young. And... Yes, I've heard rumors about Josh McDaniels, but Green Bay also is going to need a coach to fix that defense because that defense has been getting a whole lot of points this season. Now, who they're going to look at, I, I don't know. I would expect that they're going to look at DeFilippo, Minnesota. They're going to probably look at the offense coordinator for the Rams. They're going to probably look at the defense coordinator for Houston. They're going to look, do their research and look well-rounded, but they got to get a coach that is going to, be creative, get that offense going, and have a defense that can stop. We talked earlier in the college football deal about college football coaches. Urban Meyer's available now. I don't think he's going to jump the NFL that soon, but, you know, that's maybe one that you may talk to far as you get some ideas from offense. Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, that's certainly another possibility. And I would expect they might kick the tires on some old coaches that are out of the league at the moment. But that's the key for Green Bay. They got to get a coach that's not only going to be able to get the offense, keep Aaron Rodgers, get the offense going and get clicking again, but they also need a coach or preferably a defensive coordinator that can stop these NFC North teams with the Lions, the Bears with Mitchell Trubisky, and now the Vikings with Kirk Cousins. That's a lot of hands to try to keep down on the defensive side of the ball for the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, and you have to look at also – um, Sean McVay, you look at coaches like that, that's the kind of coach that I think would mesh well with Aaron Rodgers, that would have the same mindset and mentality when it comes to the plays, when it comes to um, just everything about the, the team itself. I think that a coach like a Sean McVay would be fantastic for Aaron Rodgers. An offensive-minded coach is definitely somewhere where they need to go, and I think they can find that, and especially having Aaron Rodgers there, under an extension contract, uh, I think that he's going to be there for quite some time, and I think a coach will be uh, foolish not to go to the Green Bay Packers um, because they'd be working with one of the best quarterbacks, if not one of the, like the best quarterback ever to play the game. Green Bay is an attractive job. It's one of the historic franchises in the NFL. I mean, Lambeau Field, and you mentioned Aaron Rodgers. you got to still a uh, Hall of Fame quarterback. Like, How can you not turn that job down? 
You can't. It's Unless... also job security. I mean, the only I think the only other mediocre coach who's kept his job longer is Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, true. And Hugh Jackson was kind of getting in that, into that conversation too until he got fired. So, um, yeah, I mean, I well, think Hugh that... Jackson was still dealing with the Browns, and you never know what's going on down there with the Browns. So <laughs> you can't really always blame the coach on that one. Yeah, very true. Um, but with with Green Bay, I mean, they haven't had many coaches in their in their franchise either. So that that's another thing as well when it comes to longevity of being a coach there in Green Bay. Um, that coach will be there for quite some time because they haven't had. Um, much turnover there with Green Bay. So it'll be interesting to see who goes there. Well, I'm sure the coaching carousel will heat up in the next few weeks as the Green Bay Packers look for their next head coach. But speaking of letting someone go, Kareem Hunt was let go by the Kansas City Chiefs for a video that ha- that happened to show him hitting his then fiance or girlfriend um, in February of this year. The incident was investigated by the NFL before. They tried to obtain video of this incident before, but they could not get their hands on the video evidence. The team had talked to Kareem, had talked to the girl as well that was involved. NFL did not talk to Kareem or the girl involved at all, um, but they found in the investigation that it. they believed what Kareem was saying. Kareem said that he didn't do it. He said that he went back to his apartment, that, that he didn't kick anybody things of that nature, um, all turned out to be false. Uh, he did actually do these things, and there was a video that showed up from TMZ. And a uh, huge blow for the Kansas City Chiefs offense. However, they do have Spencer Ware as the running back there. Um, so he will be the lead back as of right now. And also they uh, hired Shark Hendrick West as a another running back option there in Kansas City. But with this Kareem Hunt story, how big of a hole does it leave there in the Kansas City offense? JT, I'll start with you. It leaves a big hole for the Chiefs, Dylan. They barely beat the Raiders this past weekend, 40-33. to And the Raiders, I mean, just hadn't had gotten much offensively the past few weeks. So that was a very surprise. But to me, Dylan, the Chiefs have literally went from a potential Super Bowl champion to they're going to make the playoffs. But how far they're going to get, I don't know, Dylan, because you know in the playoffs when you got to go to those cold climates, you got to have a running game to carry your offense when it's not clicking, throwing the ball. And Andy Reid, he's a very offensive mind coach. <laughs> you know, he's always changing the times the NFL, coming up with new creative ideas to develop these young quarterbacks. So I'm sure Andy Reid will figure out something. But it's not going to be an easy uh, situation for the Chiefs now that Kareem Hunt is now uh, released. And they did put him on waivers when they released him, but no one claimed him. So now he's officially a free agent. Well, and also, before we get to you, Chris, um, I don't even think it's, uh, you know, you talk about the Raiders game. You talk about it being a 40-33 to 33 win for the Kansas City Chiefs. Kareem Hunt did not play defense. So, at that point, I think we have to blame the Kansas City defense. I talked about it on Twitter. We had a poll about this, too, talking about, with the release of the Chiefs running back Kareem Hunt, will the team remain the top to uh, remain the favorite to win the AFC Championship? 58% of the people said yes, they still were, will remain the top candidate to win the AFC Championship this year and go to the Super Bowl. Um, I still I agree with that. However, I do worry most about their defense. Their defense has not been playing very well this season. There have been flashes of brilliance on that defense, but they keep getting scored on every single game and a lot of points. Again, you're talking about the Oakland Raiders here, and they scored 33 points in the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend. 
Although, you know, we have Patrick Mahomes and Spencer Ware and uh, Tyreek Hill, players like that on the offensive side of the ball scoring 40 points, you still have to wonder. I mean, they lost the game to the Rams because they gave up so many points to the Rams offense. And it's the defensive side of the ball that worries me the most going into the AFC um, title race and all that kind of stuff. But I think that the the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be a formidable team in the playoffs. However, if you score points on them and you keep playing them, uh, score after score, you can catch up to them and you can beat them, just like the Rams showed um, in their game against them. Chris, what do you think about this? Oh, boy, you gave me a lot to work with here with the, with the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> uh, where Where should I start? Uh, first, first and foremost, because they're going back to Spencer Ware and Turkandrick West as their backs, we're only two years removed from that set in the backfield anyway, uh, this being the second year. So I don't think they're going to lose as much in the running game as people think. I think it'll set them back for maybe a week or two. But once Ware and once West kind of get their legs back under them and, you know, get those first team touches in practice again, they'll come right back to form. They're not they're not a far drop from Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt, you just had to ride the hot hand. Um, and I totally agree with you on the defense. I, I can never favor the Chiefs to win the AFC Championship game, even if they get there, no matter who they're playing, but especially if they're going against New England, there's just something that happens to Andy Reid in the playoffs. He just can't get over that hump. I mean, he failed in Philadelphia to do it multiple times with Donovan McNabb and the massive offenses that those teams had, even with solid defenses. There's just something with the playoffs and Andy Reid can never pick him to win. I just can't do it. <laughs> no, Chris, you brought up a great point. We saw that last this past season with our Tennessee Titans when they went to Kansas City and just totally blew the door off against, against the Chiefs, and we did not see that coming. No, we didn't. But they, and, it, it did. It happened. And it was uh, a crazy game. It was probably one of the mon- most monumental games in Marcus Mariota's early career anyway, too. So that, that was a huge playoff win by him. First playoff win, too. Um, a great way to continue your career that way. Um, but, Chris, you were going to say something else. I was going to say, when it comes to the Kareem Hunt incident, the video, first off, I want to do a shout-out to the Clark and Dan Hunt family. Uh, in their ownership group, acting as swiftly as they did, um, knowing knowing some of the people in that family the way I do, um, from the the things that I've read, the things that I've heard, uh, the I fully believe their team statement that they had no idea that the video was even out there. They had not seen it. Uh, they probably asked for one. Got the typical you know police line of that's internal. You know that's not for us to release kind of a thing. Um, and then as soon as they saw just how bad it was, they they acted swiftly. They didn't care what it would do to their team. They just said this isn't right to have them with us. So they cut bait with them entirely. Um, but I do believe that as you said, they sat down with him in February. He said that it wasn't. You know, I mean, it's basically a he said, she said without the she said part of it, because I don't believe that anybody had ever interviewed her, uh, whether it was the team or the league, at least from what I've heard. And when you don't have her side of it and there's no charges pressed there are no charges filed or anything, there's really only so much you can go off of. And so they acted in good faith. And as soon as they found out that he had lied to him, they they just said, who cares what it does to us on the field? And they know what it does to them on the field. 
Yeah, definitely so. And like you said with the video, um, the NFL did say that the Chiefs did reach out to try to get this video. The NFL tried to reach out to police to get this video from them, and they said it was an internal investigation. They could not get the video. Um, And then the video was released by TMZ this week. So um, thank you to the to TMZ, I guess, because this happened and, and I'm sure that Kansas city would want to cut ties after seeing this video. And they did very, very swiftly. And I congratulate them for that as well. So let's move on to some basketball news. The Cleveland Cavaliers. One, yes. Oh, sorry. One, one last question. Call it sour grapes from being in new England. But I mean, how much do you think TMZ paid for that video to come out so they could release it? And how bad is it that the NFL is more worried about paying money to investigate one of its best players of all time for maybe knowing about little less error in a football than they are about trying to get this kind of thing right. Yeah, it does seem a little bit fishy that the NFL was so uh, gung-ho on the whole Peyton, uh, the whole Patriots scandal, the whole deflate gate. Um, Spygate. It does the seem. List goes on it does on. seem kind of strange. Um, I think that after Spygate happening and after Roger Goodell felt that the Patriots quote unquote got away with it, I think that that's one of the main reasons why they went so hard at Deflategate. Um, but uh, yeah, again, yes, I completely agree with you. I think they should have spent more money in this investigation. Should have worked a bit harder in this investigation to actually get the answers right when it happened instead of. You know, eight months later, I think that's kind of a, a dumb mistake by them. Um, they will have some questions to ha- they have to answer based on this investigation because they are doing another investigation. Kareem Hunt is on the commissioner's exempt list right now. He'll probably be getting the six-game suspension like they're supposed to when it comes to um, domestic assault. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens with the NFL. We'll see if they continue to use the rules they set in place for this. So it'd be a six game suspension instead of more, um, because they did set that precedent. And there have been some critics out there of Roger Goodell saying that he does not follow the rules. He set place in the first, he set in place for the, um, in the first place. So it'd be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think they should have used more resources to get to the bottom of this. Um, in February instead of doing it in December. I really think so. So let's move on to some basketball. The Cleveland Cavaliers traded Kyle Korver to the Jazz last week. And also it looks like J.R. Smith is on the outs as well. Yeah, Dylan, the uh, Kyle Korver goes back to his old team, the Utah Jazz. And Cleveland Cavaliers will have to try and clean house, move some of the veteran players around so they make more playing time for the young guys that got there. And by Colin Sexton, and J.R. Smith is next on the move. Uh, we don't know where he's going to move yet, but speculation has he might go to Houston because now that Carmelo Anthony's gone, Houston has a spot available, and they're looking at talking to J.R. Smith to see if they can bring him over. Now, I know J.R. Smith doesn't play a lot more defense than Carmelo Anthony does, but he can certainly help him on the perimeter, help him give him some three points, get the offense clicking for Houston because They've been really struggling so far this season in the NBA. Are you sure that he's not on the phone with LeBron James saying, hey, bring me to the Lakers. I want to be to the Lakers right now. Like, I'm sure he I mean, he wants to go over to the Lakers. That's where he wants to go. I'm, but, I'm sure he does, but I hope wherever he goes, Dylan, he brings a clock with him so he can know <laughs> how much time is left during a basketball game. Yes, yes, that would be a good thing for him to have. Um, Joakim Noah <laughs> got signed to a one-year deal with the Memphis Grizzlies. So he's going to help out a little bit there, which, I mean, I think that's a great move by the Grizzlies. They're playing great ball this season. They're actually playing better than they did last year. So 
We'll see if the Grizzlies can continue with uh, Joakim Noah and uh, get some more offense going there. And the Chicago Bulls fire Fred Holberg yesterday after a 5-19 and start to the season, which is abysmal for the Chicago Bulls. What happened to the Chicago Bulls? After Derrick Rose, after that happened when he got injured and all that kind of stuff, that team just fell from grace very, very, very quickly. Yeah, Dylan, Fred Hoiberg, he came over from Iowa State, and he was very successful at Iowa State, but he finished his career with the Bulls with like 155 losses. And remember, when he got there, he had Jimmy Butler, Derrick Rose, Paul Gasol. This was back in 2015, and they just missed the playoffs that season. Then the following year, they made it, but they got, I think they lost to Brooklyn the next season because that was his only playoff appearance. And then they had Dwayne Wade and they had John Rondo to experiment, and that failed. And then, of course, they started trading away these players, go young, commit to a young rebuilding core, but it never got done because their players kept getting injured, like Laurie Markinen, Chris Dunn, Bobby Portis. They just, whatever he did, Dylan, it just didn't work. And with all team looking so lethargic, lack of leadership, the ownership decided it's time to make a change. So they made the move. They bring in their assistant coach, Boylan, to come, coach Jim Jim Boylan, to come promote, and he's going to be the coach going into this season and next season. We'll see, Dylan, if he's going to be able to turn it around. The Bulls obviously got off to a rough start. Today was his first game, and they lost to the Pacers, 96-90. to uh, Dylan, our beloved Orlando Magic are playing right now. They're playing the Miami Heat. They're winning. They're beating them 88-79. And like I told you, going to this game, Dylan, the Magic are tied for first place. So if we win this game in the inner division, the Southeast Division. And if they win, they'll be in the lead. They're right now, I think, 7th or 8th in the Eastern Conference right now. So the Magic, off to a good start. Off to a really good start. That's probably the first time they've been in first place in a long, long time. So congratulations to the Magic. They're doing some great things down there. And, uh... Hopefully they continue their winning ways and win against the uh, Heat. They just have to close it out. But I think it looks like they only have about four minutes left to go in that game, and they're leading almost by 10. So good to hear that Orlando's doing pretty well in the basketball ranks. So let's move on to some hockey news. Austin Matthews and Jonathan Quick have returned to their respective teams from injury. So it looks like the injury bug is starting to leave a little bit in the NHL. Um, but having, Austin. Yeah, right. Um, and not in Nashville either. We'll talk about that in just a little bit as well. But I'm sure the Maple Leafs are really happy to have Austin Matthews back, and I'm sure that um, the Kings are excited to have their goalie back as well. Yeah, for Austin Matthews, the first game he played, I can't remember who it was, but it was last week, he scored a goal. Like his first game back, he gets a goal and he helped his team, the Maple Leafs, get back to uh, winning ways. And Mike Babcock is definitely happy to have him there. And we'll see Tavares, Matthews, Kadri, that, uh, that line. I mean, it's going to be amazing for the uh, – Maple Leafs, and then Jonathan Quick, we'll see if you can stop the bleeding for the Kings because they've been sinking real bad. They just announced Ilya Kovachuk is going to miss, like I think, four weeks with an injury. So we'll see if Jonathan Quick can bring him back. Uh, Chris, I want to bring you in on this because I know you've been talking about William Nylander for the Toronto Maple Leafs, speaking of the Maple Leafs. They just signed him to a contract extension at the deadline yesterday. So Dylan, or Dylan, Chris, what do you think about the situation up there in Toronto with Nylander's going to stay. Yeah, you guys were talking about Matthews coming back, and I believe he also got an assist in that first game back as well. Um, but their their team is just getting that much better. You just got Austin Matthews back. 
and within a week or two, they'll have Nylander, one of the best up-and-coming players in the league, on the wing, who can also play center. I mean, imagine having Matthews, Tavares, and Nylander as your three centers right down the middle. That's easily one of the best depth centers pieces that you can have. Uh, they got Nylander signed. I want to say it was six years, $41 million, something like that. or uh, It was basically like $6.1 million a year. And they got it in right before that deadline on, on uh, I think it was Saturday was the deadline. And um, Mark Savard, the former Bruin, actually had a tweet last Tuesday uh, basically saying he had some sources that said that this kind of deal would get it done. And if you go back to that tweet, it was exactly the contract that got done. It was kind of funny. Wow. Nylander is going to do some good things up there. Um, definitely a great squad up there, too. I'm telling you, that team is going to make some noise. And they're in the top five teams in the league right now. I, I think that they're going to definitely make some noise um, going into the playoffs this year if they stay healthy at this point. I think that if Austin Matthews stays on the ice and all those players stay on the ice, I think they can do some good things. But um, They do have a short window, though, because the, all of their young players, they just got Nylander signed, but Matthews is up in a year. They're gonna. They just signed Tavares to a big contract. They're gonna have their goalie to take care of. They're gonna have, um, you know, they're gonna have a Nazem Kadri to take care of. A bunch of their other young guys on the second and third line, and in their defense, are all coming up for contracts at the same time. So they have a very short window to capitalize on this. Well, this next piece of news will help out the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, at least a little bit for next season. The NHL Board of Governors. Meetings are this week, and the expected salary cap is going to be going up to $83 million next season. So that will give Toronto a little bit of wiggle room when it comes to signing their star players, um, which will be great for them so they can keep that roster intact. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that will help out a little bit for them. Also, the NHL is awarding Seattle as the league's 32nd team officially. So Seattle will be having... Um, an expansion draft in the 2021-22 season. And Vegas is exempt, but it's the same rules that Vegas had for their draft. So it'll be really interesting to see which players are um, are going to be safe and which players are not going to be safe when it comes to this expansion draft. Um, and also we have the NHL realignment as well. The Arizona Coyotes are going to be in the Central Division. And Seattle is going to be going to the Pacific Division. So... What do you guys think about these pieces of news? JT, I'll let you go first. Yeah, Dylan, well, first with the salary cap, I mean, right now it's at $79 million, and it's been going up like every season. So no surprise on that. And because the teams have been successful, like the Vegas Golden Knights and their Stanley Cup run last season, it's definitely helped these teams up. But some teams that have been struggling to keep up, you know, like the Coyotes and, you know, the Island, well, the Islanders are doing okay right now, but there's some teams that have, have been struggling to keep afloat. As far as Seattle getting an expansion team, Dylan, we've known this for like, what, a year now? We have, so yeah. We knew That's why we said it was official. It, it was like the know. worst cap secret. We knew it was going to happen at some point, and we knew the NHL before flirting with Seattle. The key question was getting the arena plan done, which he had announced with uh, Tyler Wiki and all of them had announced over the summer that that deal got done. Now, the reason why it's going to be 2021-2022 instead of originally the 2020-2021 season is because because it took so long to get the arena deal done, they expect there could be some delays. And they said by the time the arena is done with the whole uh, remodel and the key arena, it's going to be done like late fall 2020. So that's why they pushed it back a, a season. 
So Seattle, you know, going in as a thirty-second team, that's great with Seattle. I used to live up in the Seattle area. Great diehard fan, sports fans up there. And I wonder, Dylan, with the hockey team coming, it's only a matter of time before the NBA brings the Supersonics back. That's, of course, going to be happening probably 10 years from now. But that's one thing you have to wonder about Seattle. Vancouver's happy. They got a rival that they don't have to go too far. And for the Arizona Coyotes, I kind of question the NHL moving down to the Central Division only because right now the Coyotes... They're struggling with their uh, arena issues right now in and Glendale, Arizona. The Senators as well. Yes, the Senators as well. And with the Senators, they're trying to get a downtown arena because they play in the suburbs in Canada, Ontario. Where with the Arizona Coyotes, it's been like this for years. Are they going to move? Are they going to stay? This, blah, blah. And Andrew Barraway, the owner, he's trying <coughs> to get an investor to join his Arizona Coyotes team to help them find an arena in the desert somewhere to build – uh, hockey rink for them. Now, there was talk about them going to Tempe to be with Arizona State. There was also talk about them going to the Phoenix Suns back to downtown Phoenix to play there, but those have fall through. So, who knows, Dylan? I really think for Arizona, more likely than Ottawa, that if things don't improve in the next couple of years, there's talk they could go to Houston. And it would make sense them going to Central Division by 2021. Hey, Houston. They get a team, and it all matches up because they're all going to be Muslim in the same time zone. So we'll see how that happens. But, uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on what, Dylan, we've talked about so far in the, in the Board of Governor meetings? So I love the fact that the cap is going up. It's always great to see when the teams have more money to spend. This year's free agency class is a solid, solid class. So it'll give teams that, you know, even they're still trying to compete with the salary cap floor, um, you know, I remember a few years back, the the Florida Panthers, they ended up needing to deal with the Bruins to gain Tim Thomas's contract just so they could hit the floor. Um, you know, so a team like, you know, Arizona, like you're talking about, they'll have more, more money there. Um, I believe I read somewhere that they had picked Arizona to go to the central when they actually have the visiting teams come to their arena. Um, they actually have a better draw when they play the Central Division than when they play the Pacific. And so for that reason, it was Arizona who was selected to go to the Central Division. I've read nothing about plans as far as moving into Houston. I don't even know how that would go. We'll talk about that when if it happens more. But yeah, worst kept secret was Seattle. Um, I do like the fact that it's going to be to 21 and 2021-2022 season because trying to do a temporary stadium for a couple months and all that. We saw what happened with the New York Islanders and, and how their stadium issues went. Never plays out well, especially for the season ticket holders. The fans the fans ultimately lose at that. So good, thing, good on them for pushing it back. And it'll be really interesting, especially this year with that boost in salary cap, to see what players – get new contracts maybe for that extra year just so they can be eligible for the expansion draft with them using the same rules that Vegas had. Now Vegas was a lot shorter of a window to plan for those kind of things. Now teams know how it looks. They know how it's executed and they'll have a better idea of what a team is going to look for from their roster and they can plan around that better. Yeah, that's a great point, Chris. And, one thing I want to mention about Arizona Coyotes and the speculation, that's just the speculation for a relocation because the Arizona Coyotes always seem like they're always up for relocation. And it's just pretty obvious that if they don't have a, a future plan in the desert, they're going to have to move somewhere. 
And from what I've been hearing, NHL, Gary Bettman talking to Houston, that's the most likely scenario if a team were to be eligible to move out of its current market. Now, let's talk about the possibility of the World Cup of Hockey in 2020. The NHL did address this during their meetings this week, and the NHL said that there's we want to do the World Cup of Hockey in 2020, but we can't sign off on it right now because we are waiting on an update for the current CBA negotiations between the NHL Players Union and the NHL. Now, in case you guys remember, the current deal is up in the fall of 2020, and if there's no deal, that means no World Cup of Hockey, but it also means another lockout in the NHL. Ugh, getting tired of these CBA negotiations leading to lockouts, you know? But hopefully it doesn't happen. We'll see how it works out. But, Chris, what are your thoughts on maybe the World Cup of Hockey? You know, it was really successful the last time I did it in 2016. It could be another big hit in 2020. And then, of course, the impending CBA labor negotiations. So I think the World Cup of Hockey is a great thing. It's... You know, it's like the Olympics. People love the Olympics, but there's so many players that they just don't know, um, you know, whether it's from the KHL or people from, you know, the juniors or, or wherever. And with the World Cup of Hockey and partaking with the NHL, you get the players that people know and you get a better turnout for it. And it's just great hockey, you know, great time to watch hockey, see teammates play against each other for once, you know, see a guy like, you know, you, you, I mean, at one point you had Team Finland with Pekarine and Tuka Rask at their prime in the in in the Olympics. How can you beat a goaltending tandem like that? You just don't get to see that kind of thing very often. So I'm all for it. I do think, if I remember correctly, there's a clause in the current CBA where after the 2019 season, if both the players' union and the league want to renegotiate the CBA, they can do it a year before it actually expires. Uh, but it does negate that last year, which is kind of weird. Well, I mean, I think it would it would serve its purpose if we did decide to go um, and negotiate 2019, just so we can get prepared for the World Cup of Hockey if it does happen in 2020. If they if both sides want to do the World Cup uh, World Cup of Hockey. Um, in 2020, so that might bode in their favor as well. Um, but with the the collective bargaining agreement negotiations, I mean, we've seen this time and time again. I think it's so fresh in their mind the lockout we had last time that they don't want that to happen again. So they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that does not happen. That's a good thing for us because we'll definitely be able to see some hockey um, and know very good and well that we will not be missing out on hockey in 2020-2021 because, I mean, it's happened in the NHL. It happened in the NFL too. Um, I think that they know what what a bad product it is when they don't come to an agreement before the season starts. I remember during my college program when I came here in fall 2011, Dylan, there was a possibility that, because the NFL was on the lockout for, I think, what, four weeks? The NBA was at risk having their lockout, and they missed two months. And then, of course, the NHL missed, like, six months or something. So, I don't want to experience another fall like that in 2020 for all these <laughs> leagues. Their, their bargains are up, and we're going to have all these lockouts. It's just crazy. Well, but, the good news is with this collective bargaining negotiation, there's not as many prime subjects that are they're, they're headbutting on. This one has been working. I remember the last one, I mean, Jeremy Jacobs coming out and saying that the, the, the seven-year contract was the hill the owners would die on over the eight-year contract. And, you know, 
I haven't heard that those things are, are still a major issue for either side. I agree with you guys. I think they are going to want to get it done quick. I think the details that they're going to need to hammer out are going to be like the qualifications for things like the World Cup of Hockey. And I will let you guys know this is football related, but I just saw a tweet that the uh, Washington Redskins have signed quarterback Josh Johnson. Interesting. Haven't seen that name in a while. Um, also, there's some breaking news as well. The Magic just beat the Miami Heat by 105-90. to 90. So, good for them. I'm glad that they decided to take the first place uh, first place placement and have it to their own. So, congratulations to them. Let's move on to our home team updates. I'll start with the National Predators first. So, as of right now, we are in the injury time, I guess you could say. Um, Chris is very familiar with that with the Boston Bruins. But with the no National Predators, <laughs> the National Predators, we have Philip Forsberg, who just went on IR. He was the latest player to go on IR for us. We have P.K. Subban on IR. We also have Victor Arvidsson on IR, which Victor should be coming back soon. P.K. should be coming back soon as well. Um, we just have several key pieces. Kyle Turris is on IR too. Several key pieces who are banged up right now, um, which was very, very bad for us going into the game um, two games ago. And we thought we were going to go into this game with a very different-looking roster, which we did. Um, we played against Chicago. Usually that's a really, really high-scoring affair. Um, it's either close or a blowout on either team. And this time it was a blowout. The Predators actually came out and scored three goals within the first four minutes of the game, winning that game 5-2 to two against Chicago um, with help from an assist and a goal from Ellie Tolvanen. He actually played his first game of the season this year. And, um, yeah, great game by him. We were 3-2 and two in our five-game homestand. And we're rolling right now with the team we've got. We actually won against Buffalo Sabres last night, 2-1. to one. Uh, So we're doing some really good things there in Nashville. Hopefully this, this experience will give uh, these young guys some time to get some ice time and also to get the feel of the team. And if they, need, if they can help us in any way, um, going down the stretch of the season and in the playoffs, and that would be fantastic for us. So Preds are doing great right now. JT, how are your Washington Capitals looking? Well, my Capitals were on fire until Sunday, but I'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> but the Capitals, though, last we talked about them, they were having injuries and getting some players back. We were on a seven-game winning streak, Dylan. We beat the Avalanche, beat the Canadiens, beat the Blackhawks, beat the Red Wings, beat the Rangers, beat the Islanders, and beat the Devils on November 30th. But on Sunday, December 2nd, we played the Anaheim Ducks. And Dylan, this is the craziest game I didn't even get a chance to watch it. My phone was blowing up. I was like, what is going on? 5-1. All right, great. Next thing I know, 5-2, 5-3, 5-4. The Ducks were coming back. 5-5. And then they score a late goal at the end of the third period for them to win the game, 6-5. So the Ducks snapped our seven-game win streak. But the Capitals are back in action tonight because, Dylan, it's a special night. We are going to Las Vegas to play the Golden Knights. Now, the last time we were in Vegas, Dylan... We lifted the Stanley Cup. Very special moment for Caps fans. And that woman flashed her, yeah. flashed the team when they were running around with the Stanley Cup as well. Yes. That was the last time they were in Las Vegas. Well, remember, Dylan, Vegas has to say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but not that night. Or what happens in Vegas gets broadcast on TV that night. That's yeah. what happens. Exactly. <laughs> but we return to Las Vegas tonight to take on the Golden Knights, and we'll see the Capitals can get another win streak going. 
TJ Oshie is not playing tonight. He's still dealing with a concussion, but he's going to probably miss the next three games. They expect to have him back against on Tuesday, December 11th, when we are at home hosting the Detroit Red Wings. But the Capitals are still looking good, Dylan, and we are still on top of the Metropolitan Division. Chris, how are the Boston Bruins looking right now in the Atlantic Division? So they're keeping their heads above water. Uh, when you lose, you know, a Norris Trophy candidate, um, or you know, when you when you lose a top, you know, a Selkie winner, you know, candidate, four time winner in Bergeron from your top line. I mean, he'll still be out for at least three more weeks, I think, and then he'll get reevaluated. Chara's still out. So when you lose guys like that, it's tough to recover. Uh, but starting on the front end, it's it's definitely been an interesting thing to see. They're still trying to play around. One of the things that, not that I'm ever rooting for someone to get hurt, especially a Patrice Bergeron, but one of the good things that have come from this is it's forced Bruce Cassidy to change up their lines and see who else works well together. Uh, they tried Jakob Forsbacher Carlson, young 23-year-old prospect center, with the Marshawn Pasternak combination, played pretty well there. Um, they just recently sent him back to Providence because they're not fully impressed with his intensity of his game on a game-to-game basis. Um, they recently recalled Ryan Donato. They're pairing him. They paired him tonight with uh, Jake DeBrusque and David Krejci on the second line. So that could be a lethal combination if that starts to click. They're just rotating some of these young guys in and out of the lineup up top. The the one damper on this whole thing still for me is the lack of production from David Backus. They still cannot find a way to get him going, and that's a $6 million drain for the next three years if they can't get him back going. All right. Well, let's move on to soccer news for the week. It's JT's Football recap of the week. <laughs> JT, I'll toss it over to you. Thanks, Dylan. And as always, out of bounds, we're here to recap the latest from the beautiful game. And for my weekend recap, we got to talk about some European action. So let's start with the North London Derby as Arsenal got a 4-2 win over Tottenham Hotspur this past weekend. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang got two goals in this game. And Arsenal now is in fourth place in the Premier League, or the Premier League where they usually are. And they're ahead of their rivals. Uh, the other big game that happened was Liverpool and Everton in the Merseyside Derby, where in the final moments, Divock Origi got a last-minute header for the Liverpool team for them to get a win over the rivals, Everton, 1-0. Great game in Liverpool. And PSG had their 14-game win streak snapped by Bordeaux as they had finished with a 2-2 draw. Over in Italy, AS Roma and Inter Milan also finished with a 2-2 draw. And FC Barcelona, they defeated Villarreal 2-0 in La Liga in Spain. So for Barcelona, they are now on top of the La Liga division in Spain. Let's talk about the MLS Cup playoffs. In MLS, they just finished the second leg of this series. Atlanta United won the first leg 3-0 against New York Red Bulls. The second leg, New York Red Bulls only got one goal, but it was not enough. Atlanta United advance 3-1 in aggregate to make it to the MLS Cup Final. Sporting Kansas City and the Portland Timbers, that was a 0-0 draw in the first leg, but in the second leg, man, it was a back and forth, back and forth. But in the end, the Portland Timbers got the last goal for them to win 3-2 on aggregate, and they will be facing off Atlanta United, Portland Timbers, 
Atlanta United on December 8th in Atlanta. That game will be uh, at 7.30, kickoff around 8.08 on Fox. That should be an exciting matchup between Gio Civarice against Tata Martino. Because this is going to be his last game, Dylan, because after this game, Tata Martino is going to take the Mexican national team job. And that's going to be exciting. Orlando City news. Orlando City was busy, Dylan. They were announcing last week that their GM, Nikki Budalich, has been let go. Uh, Orlando City, he was in charge of taking all these young players, making the pay to get Sasa Kleisten and get uh, more Tom Dom Dwyer. It hasn't worked out. And after having a really bad season, Orlando City decided to make the change. They also announced some roster changes as the most notable players who will not be returning to our team next season our starting goalkeeper, at least the beginning of the season, Joe Bendek, he's not coming back. And our captain, Jonathan Spector, he will not be returning to Orlando City next season. No Orlando Pride news report, but Orlando Seawolves, they just made their debut in the MASL for their home opener this past Friday. They had hosted the St. Louis Ambush, and the game went to a penalty shootout, but the St. Louis Ambush won a very hard-fought game on the road against Orlando 5-4. The Orlando Seawolves, their next game will be, they'll be off this week, but their next game will be December 14th next week as they host the three-time defending champion, Baltimore Blast. Now let's talk some soccer news. And Dylan, it's been 14 months, 14 months since the U.S. men's national team has not had a coach. But they made the announcement on Sunday that Greg Berhalter has accepted and taken a job to try to get us back to the World Cup for 2022. The press conference was today, and Greg Berhalter, there's been a lot of debate about the process and all that. I'll talk about that during my final thought. But Greg Berhalter, he never won a trophy at Columbus Crew, but his team has been known at working with a lot less. They didn't spend a lot of money like the Galaxy, but his teams were competitive. They made the playoffs, like I think, four out of five seasons he was there, and he also coached in Sweden for a little bit. So we'll see how that man does. I know there was a lot of debate. They didn't talk about Tata Martino. They didn't talk to Juan Carlos Osorio. They didn't talk to Peter Vermees. Like I said, crazy process, but we'll have to get Greg Berhalter a chance. He doesn't have a lot of time, Dylan, because Greg Berhalter has to get this team ready for the Gold Cup, and then he's got to get ready for qualifying for the World Cup in 2022. His first game will be on January 27th when they take on Panama in Phoenix. The MLS has announced that they're going to do some schedule changes next year. They're going to expand the playoffs to seven teams, so that definitely helps us or Orlando City over here, you know, because it's a lifeline. But they talk the top two teams in the each conference, the top number one team in each conference will get to buy the next round. And there's talk that they would move have more midweek games. And in twenty twenty, they moved the season up to February because Nashville and Miami come in and a lot of those cold weather teams will be playing the warm weather teams. So we'll see how that goes with a new schedule change next season. David Villa announced last week that he is leaving New York City FC after four seasons with the club and he is going to go to Japan and signed to play with Vessel Kobe and signed with Andres Iniesta, his old teammate from Barcelona. The 2019 Women's FIFA World Cup, that draw, Dylan, is going to be on this Saturday, and we'll find out the U.S. Women's National Team's fate on where they will go to help them qualify for the World Cup. Just to give you a brief of the teams that made it for the World Cup, out of Europe, you got England, France, the host, Germany, Italy, Netherlands, Norway, Scotland, Spain, Sweden, and New Zealand, is for the Oceania region. In South America, you got Argentina, Brazil, and Chile. North America, you got Canada, the United States, and Jamaica making their debut. 
in Africa, you got Cameroon, Nigeria, and South Africa. And then in Asia, you got Australia, China, Japan, South Korea, and Thailand. So those are all the teams that have qualified for the World Cup for the women. We'll find out on Saturday as the teams get ready for the June 2019 World Cup in France. Now we got some... Oh, that's right. Well, I want something. MLS is expected to finalize that Columbus Crew sale to the Cleveland Browns owner, Jim Haslam, this sometime within the next week. All right, some games to watch this week. Of course, we got Arsenal taking on Manchester United. That's going to be tomorrow, Wednesday, December 5th. We got Manchester City taking on Chelsea. That's going to be on Saturday, uh, November or de- December 8th. We got the MLS Cup Final. I did mention that on Saturday's way. Liga MX Playoffs, America against Pumas. That's my highlight for the MLS or the Liga MX Playoffs. And then Copa Lipidoras. Is it going to happen on Sunday? It's going to be in Madrid, apparently, after all that drama in Argentina between Boca Juniors and River Plate. But if it is going to be played on Sunday, it will be on Telemundo. That's where you can watch the game. Uh, Chris, before I conclude the football recap of the week, is there any New England Revolution news that you want to share? Uh, not that I can really think of. Uh, we're just waiting for the the turn of the season and hopefully have a better run next year. All right, guys. Oh, Chris, one more thing I want to ask you. Because you used to work for FC Dallas before you went to New England. Of course, Oscar Perea left. He's going to be coaching Tijuana. Uh, what do you think about FC Dallas? Let's look about Tab Ramos as a coach there. It will certainly be very interesting. Definitely sad to see Poppy go, um, but I can understand the move from both sides. It would have been great if he had been picked for the U.S. men's national team job, but and I was rooting for him. But good for him. You know, this is a good step for him, and I'm sure his time in Dallas is not over. He's beloved down there, and he will be missed. I mean, he did some great things with the kids down there um, in their system, and, you know, he really helped establish a a solid program down there. So good for him, though. It was sad to see him leave. All right, guys, and on that note, that will include my football recap of the week. On to miscellaneous news. The MLB announces a partnership with MGM International for a gaming partnership. JT, you got any more news on that? It's just like, you know, the NHL partnership in the NBA now. Everybody's partying in Vegas. It's funny. Ten years ago, nobody would touch Vegas, and now they're doing the game partnership, sharing analytical data for the betters and all that, so people can bet. It makes me wonder what's going to happen with Pete Rose and all that situation. But Yeah, true. We'll see how that goes. But speaking of baseball news, one player that's also trying to decide their future, Bryce Harper, he's from Vegas, and the winner, the baseball winner meetings – We'll be in Las Vegas next week. Now, Bryce Harper is in Vegas right now because, he's, according to Yahoo Sports, he's meeting with representatives from Chicago White Sox, the New York Yankees, the L.A. Dodgers, and the Philadelphia Phillies as far as the team's possibility looking at signing him during the MLB free agency period. A lot of people don't think that he's going to stay in Washington, but I think if a team pulls, like, hey, we want to win, or your system, like Chicago, whatever, he might leave, so we'll have to see what happens with Bryce Harper in his future. He'll go to the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he went to the Yankees. Uh, but the thing is, you look at Bryce Harper, he's not going to stay in Washington. I really don't think he's going to stay there. He's not. I mean, he's been there for so long now. He doesn't think that team's going to be a, a, a contender for a title, so 
Why would he stay there in the first place? He's going somewhere else. There's no reason for him to stay in Washington. And they'll trade Scherzer this uh, this trade deadline. They need to fully rebuild, start over. Scherzer will get traded. They'll have to trade um, what what's his name? The other pitcher there, Strasburg. Mm-hmm. Like it, they just need to fo- focus on getting new young talent, just like Houston did when they went out and they drafted guys like Altuve and so on and so forth. Don't need to name all of them. But imagine if Harper does go to the Yankees, that two through seven part of the order right there. You're going to have Stanton. You'd have Harper. You'd have um, Aaron, uh, Judge. Aaron Judge. I mean, just those three right there. Are they your three, four, five or your four, five, six? How do you back those guys and how do you pitch to them? Uh, that would be a pretty devastating approach. If you're if you're the opposing team playing the Yankees and you have those three guys coming up to bat, it'd be pretty scary to be the other the other opposing team. Unless they, you get them at the top of the inning. What do you do? You walk all three and then pitch the what, Gabby Sanchez or Didi Gregorius or someone else who can spit the ball around somewhere? Yeah. In no way will you win that game. Um, so let's move on to the Orlando Apollos. They actually released their new uniforms and recently drafted Ga- Garrett Gilbert in the protector pick quarterback draft as teams prepare for their debut in the Alliance of American Football League in February of 2019. They also have season tickets on sale right now for the Orlando Apollos. So if you want $75. to, seventy-five dollars, not bad, not bad. So if you want to hop in on those deals, uh, go ahead and go over to their website. And uh, become a season ticket holder today. Then we also have the XFL. They will be announcing the eight cities officially um, of the league's teams on Wednesday at MetLife Stadium. The team, the cities we have right now that are all but confirmed at this point, essentially. Uh, Dallas, Houston, Los Angeles, New York, St. Louis, of course. uh, Seattle, Tampa Bay, and Washington, D.C. Of those eight cities, which one surprises you the most? The one that surprised me, Dylan, is Washington, D.C., only because they announced that the team based in Washington is going to play at Audi Field, which happens to be home of D.C. United. So that's very surprising to me that they're going to put a team there. I think it's also smart, though, that the XFL is kind of going away from the alliances of American football, like these smaller markets, and doing these big metro markets where it's easier to travel. Everybody knows Dallas is a hub airport. You can get anywhere from Dallas or Houston or L.A., New York. So, And in Seattle, they said Seattle, they're going to play in CenturyLink Field, which I also find that's interesting as well in Seattle. Uh, so they're going to basically play a lot of the teams outdoors. And it's going to be interesting, Dylan, in 2020, when you got the Orlando Potos here in Orlando, and down the road you got the XFL team, Tampa Bay. So that's going to be interesting well. But, Chris, what uh, city that's going to be announced tomorrow that surprised you or caught your eye? So the first one actually that caught my eye was St. Louis. I think it's hilarious in some ways, uh, but good on the XFL for realizing what happened with the city of St. Louis when the Rams left and the hole that that provided for them to come in there. Um, but I also, I looked at Dallas and I just kind of tilted my head and that confused dog look and went, really? There's just so much going on down there in Dallas and yeah, people love their football, but are they really going to be able to take fans away from the Dallas Cowboys and and have them have a dual allegiance? There are too many other things going on down there between the Stars and FC Dallas and the Mavericks and, you know, the Frisco Rough Riders are even more established down there. It It is tough, tough, tough business down there to compete for ticket sales. And 
as much as it makes sense because they're in the middle of the country, it's just a it's going to be tough market for them to to really catch on with those tickets. Yeah, I definitely agree with that as well. So let's move on to winners and losers. JT, I'll start with you first. All right, guys. So my winner this week is the UAB Blazers football team. Dylan, everyone remembers back in 2014 when UAB decided to shut down this football program. So they didn't play for two years. Their coach, Bill Clark, was still there. And then in 2017, they came back, had a rough first season. But this year, Dylan, was amazing. They won like 10 games. They just won Conference USA. They won Conference USA, which is not an easy league. But they won it their second year back from in football, and they're going to a bowl game. So wow. congrats to those guys. After everything that school's been through the last five years, great to see them. They're my winner this week. My loser this week, Dylan, is unfortunately the Washington Redskins with their quarterback situation. Alex Smith, broken leg. Colt McCoy, broke his leg. Mark Sanchez, now on the clock. I mean, what's going to happen, man? I'm worried they're going to go through a merry-go-round quarterbacks. They're just not going to make the playoffs. So they're my loser this week. Uh, Dylan, who is your winner and loser this week? My winner this week is the UCF Knights, extending their win streak to 25 games and also still getting snubbed by the College Football Committee. I think that uh, UCF will do good things in this bowl game they have against LSU. This is a statement game for them. Just like the Memphis game was, this is going to be a huge statement game too. If they win against LSU, we know that they are a team to be reckoned with. And also, we'll have to answer the question, are they national champions once again? Last year, they were recognized as national champions, being undefeated and winning their bowl game. This year, if they win all their games and win their bowl game against LSU, are they still considered national champions? We'll have to find out at the end of the season. My loser this week, obviously, Mike McCarthy. Good riddance to you, serving 13 years there in Green Bay. And you just couldn't do it with the best quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in the league right now. Chris, I was going to say, I think Tom Brady and Drew Brees would have something to say about that. Probably would. But Aaron Rodgers <laughs> is, 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 I guess, the most explosive quarterback in the league. I guess the. I can't believe he was there for 13 years. Yeah, it's. it's and he's been there for a while. That's a dinosaur age, man. <laughs> yeah, especially in the NFL. Definitely so. That was rivaling, like, Jeff Fisher with the Titans. That That's that's rivaling that a lot. Anyway, Chris, who are your winners and losers? So, my winner of the week, uh, well, week and a half or so, uh, obviously, you know me, hockey at heart. I'm going to go with, actually, the Bruins goaltender, Tuka Rask. Uh, last time we talked, he had just taken some personal time, and ever since he came back, he has been on fire. Um, good on him for taking the time for whatever it was he had going on, whether it was family, mental health, whatever. I think it's a prime example. I mean, we've had some stories recently in the last couple of years in the NBA about players kind of not dealing right with their personal issues, depression, stuff like that. So I think it's good on Tuca for recognizing what he had to do, the team supporting him and doing it, and just now coming back and showing everyone that he's still Tuca. Um, I, I just think it's a great story all around. And honestly, who cares what he had to deal with? He dealt with it. Good for him. My loser is the NHL All-Star selection process. Uh, they recently announced all their nominees, and there was this big uproar that David Pasternak was left off the All-Star ballot when he's one of the top goal scorers in the league. He is going to have to be written in. Some areas where you look, he's going to be the captain of one of the teams, but other areas, 
he's going to have to be written in on the ballot. They snafu'd this whole thing up, and with one of the league's best players right now, how do you do that? That is awful. Yeah, I definitely agree. That's uh, something they need to look into, and especially with the NFL. They do it. They just do a wide open. Pick your players. Pick who you want to see in in the game, and I think that's worked out for them in the long run. I think they need to kind of expand um, how they do the All Star Game selections for the NHL. But definitely having somebody like Pasternak um, being completely written off. I mean, that, that's just not not the best way to go about things. So let's go to final thoughts, JT. Let's do a quick one tonight. We'll start with you first. All right, guys. Just want to give a quick um, info on, like I said, the U.S. soccer hiring coaching process and how it took 14 months. Like I said, Greg Berhalter, I hope he does really well. My only concern with the whole process was, look, you could have talked to Tata Martino. You could have talked to uh, Julian Lepetegui, anybody to hire. And the fact that you only hired, you basically interviewed two people, Oscar Pereira from FC Dallas, and then Greg Berhalter. I just didn't understand the process. If they would have interviewed everybody else who came into the Berhalter, I would have been totally okay with it. So U.S. Soccer, I hope that you guys are going to make this transparency and give this guy a shot because if he struggles, it's going to look really bad on you guys, U.S. Soccer. You promised change. Haven't seen a lot lately, but we'll see how 2019 goes. But that is my final thought. Chris, what is your final thought for the night? So... <clears throat> Again, we just got to go back. I got to mention with the NFL, I mean, they got to get their stuff together. I mean, how is it that, you know, I mentioned it before, Josh Johnson just got signed by the Redskins, and yet Colin Kaepernick still can't find a job, even backing up someone as bad as Mark Sanchez. And yet, you know, this incident with Kareem Hunt is going to bring back to fruition, bring back to the forefront. All You name them all. Ray Rice... Ray Lewis, even Tyreek Hill had an incident. Um, now you've got Brandon Browner in the news. Like, I get it. Colin Kaepernick is a polarizing figure, but he didn't break any laws. And you have all these guys on the field who broke laws. Come on, NFL. All right. My final thought goes out to the college football playoff committee. I think at a certain point, college football needs to look at expanding <laughs> This college football playoff. Oh boy, here we go! I got a rant. I hear, I hear a rant coming. I, they they has they have to. Uh, at a certain point, they they keep talking about you know, hey, th- this is not in the cards. This is not in the cards. This is not something that we think would be beneficial for college football. However, I think it's the latter. It, it's 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 completely opposite from what they're thinking. It is. It will do a lot for college football. It will bring other organizations into the light that haven't been the light before. I think it will shine a light on these certain organizations like UCF. UCF, I think, deserved to be in the college football playoff. Um, they, they've went undefeated, and they have nothing to show for it. They went, they're number eight. They end the season at number eight until their bowl game, which hopefully they do win against LSU, and they stay in the top ten um, to end the season completely. But I think that at a certain point, college needs to look at it and say, you know what, it's more profitable for college football if they have a six-game playoff or an eight-game playoff. I think that it would just be more, it would make much more sense if they had an expanded college football playoff. And they need to look at it very, very closely. They need to look at it very, very soon. And I think that that would make it to where these college teams would actually have something to play for because they knew they would actually be able to get to that point and play in the college football playoff because I, I'm getting tired of seeing Alabama 
and Clemson and Ohio State and uh, Oklahoma, Georgia, those teams that are always in it, I'm sick and tired of seeing all of them in it every single year. Well, Alabama's always, but they've been in every single playoff since it was created. Yeah, and also they have not had a single team that has lost two games in the college football playoffs so far. That's very true as well. They care about that, but they don't care about an undefeated team like UCF, who is twenty five and zero. I don't. I just don't get it. I'm. I'm upset. <laughs> but hey, you know what? They need to look at it. They need to see if it's more profitable because I can tell you, it's more profitable if you do it that way. The thing I don't understand. With no from Dylan, right? Exactly. Yes. It's 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 just preposterous. They don't decide to do this. They're always talking about they want to make more money. NCAA wants to make all this money. Guess what? The way you do it, expand the college football playoff. The thing I never understood about the NCAA is you have a playoff at the FCS level. If you can figure out how to get a playoff in the FCS level, how can you not have a playoff in the FBS level? Thank you. Anyway, thanks for listening to the show this week, guys. You can follow us on Facebook, Out of Bounds with Dylan James, on Twitter, OOB Podcast, which we've been doing some polls and stuff recently on, on the Twitter page, so definitely keep an eye on that. You can email me at DylanOutOfBoundsPodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Dylan underscore James, or Instagram, Dylan James underscore FL. JT, what are your social media handles? You can reach me on Twitter at JTSaka88. That's at JTSOCKA88. You can follow me on Instagram at JTSaka Sports. And you can email me. I'm at um, JT at outofboundspodcast.com. Chris, what about you, sir? I am on Twitter at CNOZIC6342. Uh, pretty active on there, doing some polls myself, mostly hockey. Gotta say that. <laughs> um, and you can also email me at Chris at outofboundspodcast.net. Dot com. Sorry. <laughs> awesome. Well, <laughs> I got too a, many emails. I'm confused. It's all. a new email account. I understand. It's fine. Um, but yeah, also we'll be posting some more content. Uh, we promise we'll be posting more content on the website in the next week or so. Uh, keep an eye out for that. But thanks for listening to the show this week, guys. And we will talk to you next week. Next week.